Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. It's a mega podcast. Four segments today because I am indecisive. First, Rashid Bailey, Winnipeg Blue Bombers receiver, gets you ready for Friday's game against Calgary. He's very excited about it. And wait till you hear his response when I ask him what he's thinking about if he ever scores his first touchdown. Also, the MJHL report, Lindsey Kyle from Dauphin, billet coordinator, talks about billet life in junior hockey. Four-time Olympic gold medalist, Caroline Ouellette. She is a Good Deeds ambassador for Chevrolet's Good Deeds Cup, and we talk about that and about the future of women's pro hockey. And finally, Michelle Sawaski-Coop into the Canada West Hall of Fame, three-time national champion with the Manitoba Bisons. We look back on her career and why she loves music so much on the podcast. Now it's time for our 48-hour Blue Bomber preview. This week joined by Bombers receiver Rashid Bailey. Thanks for hopping on the show, Rashid. How are you feeling about your regular season finale against the Stampeders coming up? Man, I'm excited. You know, like, uh, I don't even know what this It's like my feelings are everywhere. I feel like, you know, I've worked extremely hard to, you know, to put myself in this position to be, you know, you know, in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, I enjoy I enjoy this feeling, but, you know, I'm still trying to get used to, you know, playing consecutively like this again. You know, it's, it hasn't been since, you know, since, you know, college, since I've, you know, played consecutive games that matter, not preseason games or not, you know, whatever the case may be. But we, these, these wins and losses count. The stats count, like everything, you know, everything is included. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to, to correct some of the mistakes from last week and go out here and get this W. This will be three straight weeks for you in the lineup. You had five catches for 86 yards against Montreal, four for 30 yards in Calgary. What was it about the Calgary defense that maybe gave your offense some trouble last week? I don't really think it was trouble. I mean, I just feel like we just were, we, you know, we just were shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit, and we weren't capitalizing on some opportunities. Uh, I slipped on one of my routes late in the game, and you know, I've been kicking and screaming about it. And uh, uh, you know, they they do some things schematically, but you know that that are good. But we're we're a great team, and you know, we're 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 young in some areas, you know, but we're 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 on the right we're on the right track right now, and uh, some people may you know have have probably given up on us or you know are writing us off, but we know how to lose. We know we've been in all these situations before. We've we've gotten in situations where we only gotten three points. We got in situations where we made big plays. This is a team that you know that that is, that, that is still trying to get trying to trying to find the Mitch again, and, and we will. And, and on Friday night, man, I'm excited. You know, we're at home. And uh, we get we get to put it on them guys. How important is it to go into the playoffs on a high note? Because you got the bye week coming up after this game. Oh, this game is this game means everything. This is this is this is everything on the line for us. You know, to go into the bye week strong. You know, happy, smiling, and the the way the energy is, the way the way the coaches are, the way that the feeling is in the locker room and stuff like that. We're, listen, we're, we're we are phased by what's going on. Like we we're battle tested and, and and we're ready, but you know this this is this is another another test that's that's in the way, and and we're going to get the job done. How has Zach Caleros looked in practice this week? It's pretty cool, you know. I you know it doesn't really matter who's at the quarterback position. Uh, we're going to get it done. 
and you know, you know, he brings a different type of maturity and a different type of, you know, you know, he's 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 a different guy. And uh, trying to get used to, you know, who's going to be who's going to be in, who's going to be out. Uh, it's going it's going to be extremely exciting to to you know to be a part of this on Friday. Are you having fun in the CFL? I really am. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm getting my love back. I've gotten my love back. I found my love back, and I'm currently downtown in my car right now in Winnipeg. And you know, it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful place, and you know, I enjoy being here. I enjoy the fans. I enjoy. I'm, I'm finally getting the gist of everything because I haven't been playing. Nobody really knew who I really was, and I. I still feel like I haven't put a stamp on, you know, who Rasheed Bailey really is. And I, I can't wait. And that's why I get so antsy and excited because I really want to show people what they haven't been seeing from me. Uh, and, you know, I've done a lot of great things in practice and a lot of things that help put me in this position. And, you know, I'm just ready to put it on full display. Uh, and I'm just excited. Do you let yourself think about what it could feel like to score your first touchdown? You know, these last, you know, the last two games, I'm just, I'm an emotional dude. I'm a passionate, I am a Philly, born and raised, I am a, I am that type of guy. And I don't, to be honest, I really don't know how I'm going to react. But I know one thing, I'm going to give all glory to God because I put him first and I put him last. And he is the beginning and he is the end. And I really may just drop to my knees and I may shed a few tears because it's been a long time and I deserve to get in that end zone and I will get in that end zone on Friday night. So from an offensive point of view, to have this bye week coming up, at first I thought maybe it's kind of unfortunate to have it right before the playoffs, but at the same time, is it kind of nice knowing that you're going to have a little bit extra rest before the playoff game? Yeah, it will be good. It's going to be good, and I feel like, you know, you know, granted, oh man, if we would have just if we would have came out with the W last week, and we would have came out with the W on on Friday, we would have been in great positioning to to be in first place, to be in, you know, to to to, to for us to get our bodies back and, and to go into the playoffs strong. But you know, unfortunately, we didn't get it done last week. So this would be great for us to to win this game on Friday, and then, you know, let's say we don't get into first place or whatever, not get the first round by. We have our first round by next week with our bye week. So that will be great for us. So it's, it's a win-win. You mentioned, you know, almost coming out with a W. It's happened a number of times for your team this season where, you, you know, you're just so close, whether it was a elite, late lead getting away or not able to quite get over the hump. Do you let those things simmer, or do you actually, you know, forget about them and you're totally focused on this game now? Well, for me, you know, it takes it, it – ta- I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to be brutally honest, it takes me a while to, to, to let go of some things. That's something that I'm working on, and it's because I, I, I'm, I'm a starter. I'm a starter now, you know, and, you know, it's been a while since I've been like, the, like you know, the full-blown starter. So, for me, it's just been, you know, trying to forget about certain things, trying to let go of certain plays, and, you know, I want to make every play. I want to be perf- – I want to be perfect, but – you know, in the locker room, and, and you feel it from the guys, man, you know, we, we got a couple of days to go through it and get through it, but then we're back on a, we're back on the hump, and we're back, we back shooting, and it's good. I mean, the energy is good. The energy is always good in our team. You know, Coach O'Shea does a great job of, you know, you know trying to let, you know, telling us to, you know, put our egos aside and just, and just, to, and just to be always together. 
and uh, he does a great job with the team and, you know, you know, coach, you know, coach Lapo and everybody with the offense and, you know, it's just, it's a good vibe. And, and it's, it's been unfortunate that we haven't been able to, to get those games that we should have won. But, you know, there's always, you know, there's, we gotta, we have to move forward and we will. And, you know, I see great things and, you know, that's why I'm so chilly and so excited because this team is, is special and not just football wise, but, but as individuals, as men, and uh, it's just it's, it's a cool place to be. Well, Rashid, I appreciate your time tonight, and good yeah. luck Friday night. I appreciate you. Go Bombers! <laughs> Chevrolet Good Deeds Cup kicking off its fourth season by searching for Canadian peewee hockey teams to give back to their communities in a big way. And joining me to talk about it is Caroline Willette, four-time Olympic gold medalist and ambassador for the program. Caroline, is there anything new this year for the program? There is. Uh, it's already our fourth season. Uh, it's absolutely incredible because over those four seasons, there's over a thousand good deeds that were conducted in local communities across Canada. 300 last year, which was a record. And what's new this year is we will name 11 regional finalists. So one for province, one for the territory. Those teams will earn $2,000 for the charity of their choice. So we invite coaches, peewee coaches, to uh, visit chevroletgooddeedscup.ca right now. They can sign up to receive their team kit, and that includes several gifts, including a puck bag, a coaching board, a golden puck, and some stickers. And then they have from November 2nd to January 13th to submit the video entry of their team uh, doing their good deed in their community and as you know, this program is really about inspiring good. It's the beginning of the season, so we invite teams to be creative, to use that as a team-building activity, and uh, anything that uh, brings happiness and joy around around you is is a good deed. And beyond the idea of you know doing this to to win something, it's it's great to see kids getting involved in the community, whether there is in the end a you know a money reward or not. There is that personal kind of betterment reward in itself for just doing the deed exactly and what i love so much is uh, i feel like we're we're getting 11 12 years old to uh, to find their voice to to realize that they can be active members of our of their community and that's what i find uh, having experienced a few good deed over the years is that uh, they're often shy at the beginning uh, they're unsure and then as they do it more and more, they get comfortable, they find their voice, they build relationships, and they realize that they have value and that they can become uh, the leaders of tomorrow. Do you get to check out all the video submissions when they're sent in? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I get to be on the, the Chevrolet Ambassador panel, and it's, uh, it's very difficult uh, to choose 11 winners. And then uh, that's when we actually ask Canada, uh, all of our country, to get involved and rally behind their teams so we can uh, have a top three. So that's when Canadians are going to be asked to vote from January 25th to February 9th. And they will decide the top three who will earn 5000 for the charity of their choice. And then again, the panel will have the very difficult decision to choose one winner will be announced on Hockey Night in Canada on February 29th. 
and the price is uh, it can be life changing for a charity. And you know, it's one hundred thousand uh, dollars. That team uh, we will host the celebration in their hometown, and as you know, the their names will be engraved on the gorgeous uh, Good Deeds Cup with uh, the size of the Stanley Cup. So it's very impressive. Yeah. Well, uh- in recent years, we had a team from Manitoba win up in the Paw. I think they saved their local homeless shelter uh, from closing its doors. So that was cool to see here in Manitoba. And really, this is something that, you know, every little town across the country, we see hockey in basically every community. We see people in need in every community. Yeah, absolutely. And it, this is what this program is about, is is helping others. And, uh, you know, we, we really believe in the, the values that we learn in hockey or through sport. It helps communities thrive, whether it's respect, a strong work ethic, perseverance. And through that, you're making lifelong friendship. And, and we really find that the teams that, that rally behind this program, they often have a, a better season uh, on the ice as well. So uh, it brings communities closer together. And, and as you mentioned, the Pa-Huskies, they've... Uh, they, they've saved the Oscars place from from closing. They've inspired donations from all across the country uh, with their good deeds. And, and thinking about last year's winner, the Carlton Warriors, they embarked on the disaster relief efforts uh, following a devastating tornado uh, that went through their community. And um, still today, um, this was felt all through the community. And those those kids are like heroes, and they'll never forget those moments, which uh, I really, really enjoy. Now, when you were their age, back when you were 11, 12 years old, was this something that your hockey team ever did, something like this, as a team-building exercise? No, not much. I think we, you know, we were often doing fundraisers to try to help finance our season, and um, that's 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 the difference here. It's It's about helping others, and and I think that the program is more known. And as a coach now, this is what I want my athletes to become. So it's really close to my heart. I want them to not only perform on the ice, I want them to be involved in the community. Community. I want them to inspire young girls and young boys to take on sports and knowing all the values that, that we learned through it. So um, this is about really helping others, uh, being involved in your community. And it's uh, it's truly great because I think when you start at 11, 12 years old, then you're going to be active at school. You're going to take part in different programs. And that's really what it's about. It's building people uh, with habits that uh, that that is really rewarding. When you, you do good around you, uh, you want to do more good. So it's, uh, it's conta- contagious in a way. Now, while I have you here, Caroline, I wanted to ask you just about the, the state of pro hockey for women right now. And the CWHL has obviously closed its doors. What was your reaction when you found out the league was folding? Uh, really sad and, and shocked, to be honest. I felt we had a really good momentum, uh, thinking about our Montreal team. Uh, lots of success over the past years, but uh, building a fan base, a good followership, uh, a good relationship with the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, it was devastating for, for players, for our staff. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with the unity between the players for the season who have made a stand that stands to to not play in any league this season. And and the the hope is that we can build a partnership with the NHL, just like we we see in basketball with the WNBA. 
Uh, I think that uh, with a partnership like that, it would help uh, grow the popularity for female hockey. If we have more girls playing the game, they will be interested just as much in, in following the the NHL than the WNHL. So I think we all win. And when you think about my sport, I see so many men that have the privilege to be pro at what they do best. And sadly, none none of our female athletes are able to solely uh, rely, uh, rely on, on, a, on a hockey salary. Um, so I think we'll get there eventually. We need help. We need support. Uh, we need more girls playing the game. It's all so connected closely. Now, the NWHL is still in existence, and what really is standing in the way of one league to, uh, I guess, satisfy everybody? Well, I think that we have to all sit together and, and decide what's best for our athletes. They are the priority, what's best for stability and sustainability. Uh, that's the real issue here is that many leagues over the years have existed, have come and gone. Uh, so what organization gives us uh, the best um, opportunity for growth and uh, to to be very successful forever? Uh, that's really what the players want. I want to be part of that future. When I see the quality of hockey on the ice, I'm hopeful that, that we will get ev- there eventually. Uh, our athletes are so committed. They work so hard and they really have the game uh, at, at best. And finally, uh, your daughter Liv is almost two years old. Any big plans for Halloween? <laughs> Thank you for asking. It's uh, it's been such a, a great past two years. I love being a mom, and uh, yes, Liv is is twenty two on November fifth. So we're gonna host a party at home, uh, where we'll invite friends and family to to dress up for Halloween. So really looking forward to it. All right, Caroline. Well, I appreciate your time today and uh, have fun through this Good Deeds Cup. Thank you so much. Time for the MJHL Report. Wednesdays at 7.30. This week, we welcome back to the show Lindsay Kyle, who was on last year, billet coordinator for the Dauphin Kings. Took a break from her busy billet house with a mini-stick game in full force in the basement to talk to us tonight. Lindsay, is it normally pretty chaotic in a billet basement? (laughs) Well, I think it's different for every family, but the chaos in, the, in a billet home is uh, is pretty standard for us, and uh, it's good chaos. It's um, it, it it starts with just you know my husband and I both work full time, so so we're gone to our jobs Monday to Friday, and our kids are gone obviously one we have in school and one's at daycare. So it's rush home after work to uh, get something ready for supper, and then they they always have um, nightly evening activities, and you know with our kids having activities. It's uh, it's chaotic, but but they help out, and um, it's it's built in babysitters, and it's also built in errand runners and things like that. So the chaos is good. It it's it actually leaves a huge void when they're done for the season. So you have two uh, billet boys, is that what you call them, the billet brothers? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're our billet billet kids, our billet brothers, our billet family. Uh, yeah, my it, it, you know it extends as much as my sister billet, and she has two, so. You know, we refer to those kids as our billet nephews, and and my my mom and dad, who would then would refer to all the boys as their billet grandchildren. So uh, it's 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 big. It's an extended family, and yeah, we we currently have two living with us. And for most of the time in our billeting career, we've we've usually had uh, always one to two kids with us. 
And uh, I know you. we talked to you last year on the show. And uh, what or how many years is that now that you've been billeting? Well, we started in, in Brandon with the Wheat Kings and we lived there. And uh, this will be, this currently is our sixth year of billeting uh, a, a junior hockey player in our home. So you've had a lot of different young men come through your doors. And uh, is it, there are, I'm sure, similarities between the situations, but every different player brings his own personality to the house, right? Yeah, correct. Like it's, you know, it's always that first month. It's, it's, you know, you get to know them and, and their likes and dislikes and, and they definitely are, they're, they're a lot, they do have a lot of similar, um, you know, their likes, their needs, their wants, but they are different and unique each in their own. But um, I, I can't, it's amazing because like I said, we've been building for six years and uh, the relationship we've, we've had nothing but outstanding kids. We've, we've never had a kid, a player that, you know, doesn't get involved with our children or, uh, you know, doesn't want to be involved with family activity or stuff like that. And maybe because in our house, it's, it's almost mandatory. You know, it's not an option. You, you come into our home and you're instantly our family. So you're treated like family right from the start. Do you still stay in contact with uh, billets you've had in the past? Absolutely. Um, we, you know, text message, watch one of our billets, Ryan Polak actually now plays with the New York Islanders. So I was actually in Winnipeg last week to catch him as he took on the Jets. And then we have another uh, Kale Clegg that is currently playing for the uh, LA Kings farm team in the AHL. And then, of course, uh, you know, we have billets that have stepped away from the game and, and, you know, gone on to go to university and we keep in touch with them. And then um, we had our last billet to leave was Riley Shamray. He played with the Kings for three years and he lived with us for three years. And we uh, keep in touch with him. We speak to him almost weekly, uh, FaceTime, of course, because he wants to see the kids, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're very connected to, to the lives of all our Bella kids. So when uh, Ryan was in town here, are you – well, first of all, are you a Jets fan? <laughs> you, you have to be a Jets fan. So, absolutely. we're Yeah, we are. We're a Jets family. We, we cheer for the Jets. But um, it was a tough one to decide who to cheer for last Thursday. Did you get to see him after the game? You know what? We didn't see him only because we drove in and out. So uh, we're about four hours away. Right. So um, we, we headed home. But uh, in February, my sister and her husband and myself and my husband are heading to Vegas actually to watch him. So we'll uh, we'll get to see him then. I think I asked you this last year, but is there a wait list for billets? Do you have enough people that want to be billets? We have, a, we have an amazing program in Dawson. Um it's it's actually I, I think it's unique, and my sister and I, who are the billet co coordinators, we like to brag about it. And I think it's growing into this like I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like there is a wait list because families who we hang out with see see what it's like, right, to have a billet because we bring them to events and you know family gatherings and friend get-togethers. So they often say, you know, like how do you do it? How do you make time for it? And then. Two, two, you know, two weeks down the road, they're asking about, well, maybe we'd like to try it. And then before you know it, um, some of our friends can attest to this. They have two Dawson King players living in their home. So I, I always, you know, of course, everyone talks about when they ask, you know, what if, what, what if it doesn't work out, those sorts of things. But I've never had a billet that didn't work out. And uh, I think you just, you, 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 you fall in love with them so quickly. And um, 
you just take them in like your own and, and they become part of your family and you, you just, you, you handle them and you treat them just like you would your own child. So currently we, we are in a great situation and we, we, we have an amazing group of billet families. Uh, we do so much together. We have billet get togethers. We have billet potluck Christmases. We have a parent and pride weekend that also involves our billets this Saturday we we rent a room and we invite the billets in and we have a potluck thing and you know we could watch the game together and um, you know even on road games lots of us get together and we watch the road games on the tv and 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 things like that so we have an awesome group of people here and I think um, I can voice my opinion for my sister and I when we say how fortunate we are to have them do you feel like that's the same case across the MJHL I, I, w- I hope it is. I really, really hope it is because I think that, you know, you work hard to, to build a billet program. And, and I mean, let's face it, without billets, you can't have an organization. So um, I would like to think it is. And uh, I, I hope, my, my hope is that if there is a community that's struggling, that a, a family, a young family thinks about taking in a player, um, because it's something they won't regret, and I think it's it's just a really it's a really good way to give back to the organization. If if you can't give back in other ways, I think it's a great way to give back. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and uh, hopefully the mini stick game that was breaking out in your basement went <laughs> safely. Thank you so much. Another Manitoba Bison has been named to join the Canada West Hall of Fame. Michelle Swatsky-Coop won three straight national volleyball titles with the school in 1990, 91, and 92. Named tournament MVP twice before going on to represent Canada at the 96 Olympics. And Michelle joins us now. Michelle, congrats on this. What does this honor mean to you? Uh, You know, it's pretty unbelievable considering that it's um, all of Canada West and it's all sports and it's both genders. Um... I'm pretty um, amazed and super humbled that um, I, I suppose I'm the first volleyballer to be inducted. And um, either that makes me really honored or really old. I'm not sure which one, but, but um, no, honestly, it brings back a ton of memories uh, when they talked about this and it makes me uh, very proud. I know like when I think of Canada West, like even just the volleyball, the level of volleyball in the Canada West league is so high and it, it's really grown and to be recognized in this way is, is, um, is just huge for me. And my whole volleyball career was, you know, um, I guess epitomized by hard work and defined by perseverance. And it wasn't your typical um, story that was supposed to happen. And so for it to have happened and now to be recognized looking back, um, uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing for me. How old were you when you first started playing volleyball? I was in grade seven. Yeah, played at the Steinbeck Junior High and and honestly loved it for the most hilarious reasons. And uh, my big sister played and I heard we got to go to McDonald's in Portage La Prairie after our first tournament. So I figured I could maybe try out for the team. So, <laughs> so that's when I started. It was pretty humble beginnings and uh, I didn't, didn't take long and I wanted to go to every volleyball camp imaginable and um Often was just my parents and I driving to Winnipeg to attend as many camps as I could and to get as good as I could. And then when you got to go to the University of Manitoba, what was your university experience like outside of the fact that you won three national titles? 
You know, it was, first of all, like pinching myself that it was real when I was in grade 12 and Ken Bentley approached me to play at the University of Manitoba. Um, for me, that was, that was the only school that offered. And so I said yes instantly. There was um, no consideration. Um, I wanted to go there. I wanted to study music at the School of Music. And um, Ken runs a tight ship, really disciplined. I learned, I learned how to work harder than I ever imagined. I could work. And my experience playing university volleyball was um, putting in a lot of extra time. Um, being small in a, in a big woman's sport was, that was my deal. He made that clear right off the hop that I would have extra practices over what everyone else was doing. And um, I think looking back and, and, and maybe being honored in this way, that's in some ways what I'm remembering the most or what's sticking out to me is how many early mornings and late nights and, and going early and staying late and doing extra weights and stuff that, you know, and, and doing that really in essence for my team so that, you know, I would be, be good enough and be the best I could be so that this team could be amazing. And um, when we started rolling, I never stopped doing those extra practices because I was um, unwilling to let them go because I knew that's what was uh, making the, making everything possible. And, uh, you know, when we look back, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the Player of the Year awards and stuff. And, and uh, sometimes I feel like we're talking about somebody else. <laughs> but... Um, but I remember those times fondly and never took one of those awards for granted. Uh, I was, and, and know full well that it's a team sport. And, and if I weren't surrounded by a bunch of tall, amazing um, athletic women that played with me and became some of my best friends, that none of this would be possible. So uh, it's, it's a walk down memory lane that I'm cherishing absolutely. How tall are you? Five foot six. And in the, vol- <laughs> in the volleyball world, your, your role is well-defined, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and back in like nowadays, they have a position called the libero. Right. So a lot of smaller players have that window of hope to play. And uh, back in my day, that didn't exist. So I had to play front row as well as back row. And um, and my back row just I was told time and time again. Um, and at the time, sometimes I, I would have been happy if they would have stopped saying it to me. But uh, they just told me how much better I had to be to survive at, at the top level if I wanted to play at my size. And so I had to block with the big with the big hitters and touch as much as I could and, and make my play on my side even better. So that didn't become uh, as much of an issue. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, my role was to get the ball to the big hitters and get it there uh, at the right time and in exactly the right place as often as possible. And uh, so I, yeah, so I just worked hard to do that. So you win three straight national titles, 90, 91, and 92. How was the first one different from the rest? How did the experience at each subsequent championship feel different? Because the first one, it's like, oh my God, we've done it. And now all of a sudden you have a target on your back. Oh yeah. My, my, our first championship, I think we had, I'm going to be wrong on the exact numbers, uh, but like we had two or three second years. We had a first year and a couple of third years on the floor. Like we were young. Um, We were not supposed to do this. We were playing Victoria in the final and they were full of junior national team members. And, and it was, it was like, we had, we had literally, it was the epitome of nothing to lose, like the definition of it. And I remember when we went, uh, we were switching sides to the fifth game. And um, I noticed that two of their players were sort of, we were playing Victoria, who was amazing. Um, they were kind of laughing, you know, as they ran around. I, I would not say they were laughing at us, but for me, it kind of felt like it. And I said to the team in the, in the huddle, I said, you guys, like, 
I think they're laughing at us. And uh, <laughs> I, we went back and I was the first server. And by the time we switched sides, I had served eight in a row. So it was, um, I, I think it surprised everyone a bit, except we knew how hard we had worked. So that was the first one. And then, and then, and then you're right. Uh, that summer, some of us played junior national team or Canada games or, or the summer. And then we became um, exactly the team with a target on our backs because we were all one year older and now we had proven we could do it. And um, that was a phenomenal year. Uh, Ken Bentley did a great job of recruiting. We needed a middle to come and join us and we needed another left side and he got what we needed to add to what we had, our core. And uh, we won again. I would say our last year winning was the toughest, though. Winning a third time was by far the toughest because then we had played a couple of us. Well, four of us had played uh, junior national team or world student games, and we were absolutely supposed to win, no question, hands down. And and um, uh, that was so rewarding uh, because I think uh, I don't think we went in ranked one that year because we we uh, faltered a little bit in our league final. Um, and, uh, and so we, we came up with our best volleyball maybe ever in, in that, um, in that national tournament and, uh, a name like Lisa Kachikowski, people should know. I don't even know how many stuff blocks she got in that match. I don't know. It was in the teens. It was ridiculous. She was on fire and I was playing right next to her and, and loved every minute of it. And I remember it clearly how uh, it was pretty tough for their hitters to get the ball past her and. And so uh, we all sort of stepped up at the right time in my, in that was in my fourth year. We won our third championship and it was as sweet as the first. They're all, like you said, they're all, they're all great for different reasons, but that's kind of how I remember it. And then what was it like representing your country at the international level as well? Oh, um, I would probably have to take you to uh, the moment I actually uh, made the made the national team. You know, I made the national team on a conditional. You know, the coach said, "Really, you can come try out, but I'm not putting you on my team. You're too small to play international volleyball. It's not going to happen for you." And uh, he gave me a chance to to be there. He needed someone just for the summer kind of thing. And I was back in '93, about three and a half years before the Olympics. And and uh, so I, you know, I, I mean, I just I just sort of fought and clawed my way uh, to staying on the team. And little by little, he sort of couldn't get rid of me, I guess. <laughs> And uh, when we qualified in March, I had been the starting setter on the national team for a couple of years at that point. And um, honestly, it was it was a pass that sort of drove me back to the to the back corner of the court. And I will never forget setting it all the way across to our really our top left side hitter, Janice Kelly, who people in Winnipeg will remember well. And and uh, she hit that ball so hard and. I fell as I said it because it was so far back in the court and I had practiced, you know, like tens of thousands of those. And to do it in that moment, I get emotional still because it was like something I'll never forget. And and then to head to Atlanta and, and actually be an Olympian, um, I, I was not too proud to get autographs and take pictures with some amazing athletes and, um, and to even have the concept that I was there on an equal playing field as some of them. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, when I, when I talk about it now, I just feel like that was um, absolutely a gift, a gift. I, I sacrificed almost everything else in my life for at the time. Um, but uh, maybe my best memory at the Olympics was our last match. And I was on the floor and 
Um, we were playing Peru and, and before 96 and after a women's team has never won a game at the Olympics. And we won that match three, two and made a little history that day. And, you know, I'll never forget when we, I came down from that last block, uh, just the memory in for me was um, a lot of people said I would never do it. And, um, and that moment happened for me. And so that's a mountaintop that I will just absolutely hang on to. And my university experience was what made that possible. And all the hours that, um, that I put in with my coach and my teammates uh, will never be forgotten for that for sure. Before I let you go, Michelle, I want to ask you about your, your musical experience. You graduated Mm -hmm. from the school of music Bachelor of Music, Piano yeah. Performance. Where did you find your love of music, and uh, why did you decide to pursue that? When I was um, four years old, well, probably when I was three, my sisters were in a group lesson that's uh, called Yamaha, and um, I was three years old, so, of course, I was dragged along, and I kept begging my mom, apparently, to sit at one of the keyboards. It was one of those group classes with a bunch of little keyboards. And she thought I would sort of just pound away on it. And finally, the teacher let me because my mom said she's really persistent. And um, uh, apparently, I kept up with all the big kids. So it was a gift for sure, a gift that God gave me way back when um, uh, to be somewhat musical. And I fell in love with it 100% by four years old. And I told my mom I was going to be a musician. And um uh, it was uh, probably made my life harder than <laughs> than uh, most most disciplines. Um, when I was in university, I for sure I took performance as my major, and I was for sure while I was practicing three to four hours a day of volleyball, I was practicing five to six hours of piano, and oh um, it was always <laughs> it was always an absolute release for me um, because the volleyball was so intense and so such a team thing and so demanding uh, by a coach and I could go to a practice room at the school of music and just for hours uh, work on the other passion in my life. And um, it was as good as a rest. I really believe that. And uh, yeah. And, and in the end, when I made the national team, I really had to make the decision um, of doing a master's or, or uh, focusing on volleyball for the, the next sort of three and a half years. And uh, obviously it turned out to be a pretty good decision, but uh, I, t- I teach music now and I accompany a lot of um, string players and singers. And I, I, I volunteer he- here in Steinbach for the Southeastern Manitoba Festival. And, and I will not stop doing that because um, it's the other part of my soul, I think uh, is the music part. And, and I think it actually helped me thrive in volleyball because the disciplines, the discipline is, completely the same the acts are totally different but uh, the discipline is the same and um i i i credit my music um actually and and that kind of dedication and hard work partly to my success on on the volleyball court i think i i toughened up on both sides of that thanks for that michelle i appreciate your time congratulations on this honor and uh, best of luck as you go forward Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I, I just I have to just say that in a team sport, it's hard to know how they pick the person to put in. But I absolutely carry all my teammates <laughs> with me into that Hall of Fame because uh, it's sort of impossible to do by yourself. So it's really important that I that I say that because I really feel that. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?